Please listen carefully. Perception. Architecture. Radio. Welcome everybody to this episode. This is, well, today's guest is just me talking about stuff. Um, I recorded this episode uh, about, I think it was last week I recorded it. And since then, I would say that it's obviously on the topic of the day, which is the virus. And it was about a particular article that Charles Eisenstein wrote. Um, And I would say that my views haven't necessarily changed that much. Although what I did want to highlight was that um, I certainly do think that the measures of social distancing and hand washing are necessary at this time. I think there's some point in the podcast where I talk about Maybe the dangers of going too far with that, but I think it's important to clarify that that's not to say that right now that maybe that isn't necessary. It's more a commentary on what the long-term effects of that might be if we start to habituate it uh, to the degree that we actually start to lose touch with our capacity to keep our own immune systems resilient. And I think that was one of the big things that I really felt um, as a... I suppose a fear and a worry of mine is that we're it's like a a fear of misplaced fear like I don't know if we're necessarily afraid of the right thing um and I don't know I I don't know if it's true that we're afraid of the right thing in in general and I I know there's a lot of uncertainty around and we're all uh trying to make sense of it in the best way that we can um just like me, like I'm trying to figure out what's going on and it's quite hard because there's a lot of different sources of information coming from lots of different places and trying to filter out what's what is is really quite difficult and so trying to listen to people in a way where you're trying to understand what's the agenda behind and what they're saying and it might not in a kind of a critical way, it's like often people's agendas are subconscious, it's like you don't know why somebody's trying to tell you what they're trying to tell you. Um, but this is definitely a time where there's a lot of hysteria. Um, and it's really just trying to settle into feeling your way through uh, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of shaky ground. And um, I think one of the things that I was uh, about the kind of the misplaced fear is I felt like the initial reaction is move towards protection, protection, protection. And though I haven't noticed um, as much conversation about resilience. Um, and I think that's another way of contending with um, what it, whatever it is that's going on right now is like resilience. How do you make yourself more resilient to what's going on instead of just how do you insulate and protect yourself to the degree where you become um, too weak to do anything. Mm, so... I think that was basically what was going on. Anyway, this is me talking about me doing some more talking. So I'll just let the me from last week do the talking now and you can listen to that and give me some feedback and see what you think. If you like it, if you don't, or if you just want to say hello, that's also fine. All right, so here it is. Perception. Architecture. Radio. Yeah, you're doing me a great service by giving me your ear space and so that's very good i hope you're doing well from wherever you are in the world in your respective lockdowns and quarantines it's a very strange world that we're entering now and i had a few 
thoughts that I wanted to share on this. One of the first things that I wanted to talk about was this brilliant article that I read by Charles Eisenstein. Uh, if you don't know him, he's the author of Sacred Economics. Uh, and that's a book that I've said that I will read for just like forever, for a really long time. And it's really, a, I think it's really, really a good book and a valuable book. Um, I've been exposed to his work for a little while, but I haven't got around to paying it that much attention um, until this article that came out by him. And he somehow he managed to articulate a lot of the things that I'd been thinking and feeling uh, like way better than I could. And he had research to back it up as well. So like I'm really, really, really thankful for that. Um, he talks about things that I've been afraid of i feel in this uh this time the thing that people are maybe generally afraid of and i'm not going to say that i could speak on behalf of people but i see what is being whipped up as a, a kind of a mass hysteria um people being afraid of the virus that has never really been something that actually uh scares me uh the virus itself obviously it's not something to be taken lightly and I want to try to do my bit to not pass it on to people who it might affect more. Um, but in terms of virus itself, it's like, I, I don't think I'm in a high risk category. And so fair enough, I don't, I don't really feel like it's a, a big threat to me. And I don't really feel like I'm willing to live my life in a way as if it is. Um, but I do respect that there's other people out there who are maybe more vulnerable to it. And I don't want to pass it on. However, there's something about it that's just not quite seemed right to me and I'm not, I haven't quite been able to put my finger on it. And I think Eisenstein really did manage to articulate it particularly well in his article. And I wanted to read a, a couple of parts from it because I thought that these were really good things to think about. And then I'm going to go into a little bit um, some of my own emotional processing as I was thinking about what he was uh, writing when I was thinking about what he was writing and then thinking about how I've been responding to it and what I see as something like the greater threat which is perhaps the mental the effects on mental health of extended periods of social isolation and the way that um, that might affect the world that we come back into it's like social like we're, we're practicing social distancing now and that seems like it's becoming almost like a new normal. And I think we're going to have to make a concerted effort to change that around a little bit because having social distancing as a normal thing, it's not a normal thing. Um, and touch is a very good way to keep immune responses high. Like we, we need to touch, we need uh, each other and we need to be close to each other and we need to feel connected in that way. And if we're afraid of people, uh, afraid of strangers in that way or afraid of touch and, and very cautious around things and also if we have this um, response of too much hygiene like we're, we're so vigilant about germs that we actually neglect the like the cooperation with them in order to strengthen our immune systems then I think yeah I think we're heading down a very dark path if that's the case so I'll read you a little bit about I'll read you a little bit from the article that he wrote and then I'll share a link with you in some of the show notes here. 
because um, it's a really good read. Like it's really, he just hits the nail on the head for me. So one of the things he says is, it is impossible to measure the added deaths that might come from isolation induced, uh, isolation induced depression, for instance, or the despair caused by unemployment or the lowered immunity and deterioration in health that chronic fear can cause. And this is something that, this is something that he articulated so well, um, because like we, we do know that fear can, uh, especially continual chronic stress and fear not perceived in the right way. Like if you haven't uh, taken care of the way that you think about things and that is perceived as a threat and you're in the fight and flight response all of the time, and especially people are now in that kind of fight and flight adrenaline response, which means that the blood is moving out from their organs where it's doing its job of processing things and processing uh, what it needs to process within the organs and is basically being pushed into the limbs for a prolonged, prolonged period of time so that you can fight or run away um, or freeze. That's also in there as a response. Um, then the body doesn't get to do its thing. Like the body needs to relax so it can actually process things. Uh, and he talks about this a little bit. Uh, so yeah, the deterioration in health that chronic fear can cause. Loneliness and lack of social contact has been shown to increase inflammation, depression, and dementia. According to Lisa Rankin, MD, air pollution increases risk of dying by 6%. Obesity by 23%, alcohol abuse by 37%, and loneliness by 45%. And so what he's been talking about here is something that I've just, I've been feeling it, but not quite known how to word it. It's like, we're, we're afraid of the wrong thing really here, especially looking at alcohol abuse. It's like, risk of, increases risk of dying by 37% alcohol abuse, and not to mention things like uh, sugar intake and just generally not looking after your own health or like not taking responsibility for your own immune system and your own immune response, I think is um, really not part of the conversation that's been addressed. Somebody else talked about that recently. I can't remember who it was. It, I think it was on a podcast that I was listening to. Um, or maybe it was an article I was reading. I'll see if I can find that anyway. But it was like the conversation that we're not having is I don't know if it's the conversation we're not having, but it's not one that I've heard as common as the conversations that we are having. It was a video that I saw. There's a little video with a uh, demonstration of what people can actually do. And one of the key things that, uh, obviously, distancing and hygiene is good as a as a measure just to you know keep things sanitary uh, and stop the spread and flatten the curve and all that new jargon that we've that we're integrating now and. Mm, on the other hand, there was boosting the uh, healthcare system and like oh, the response from people to go in and help out and volunteer to work in the healthcare system. Like the hundreds of thousands of people that are doing that is like phenomenal. I just, I'm just so impressed by <laughs> by people in general uh, in those ways, and it's just it's such a great thing. Uh, to see that happening and I think that's really something that deserves to be celebrated and it's not just constant fear-mongering um, but one of the things this other guy in the video uh, I'll give a link to the video as well he talks about is the the other thing you can do is 
take care of your immune system. Um, because one of the big issues, of course, is that the more people that get critically ill, the more people end up in hospital. And the more people end up in hospital, the fuller the hospitals get, the more overwhelmed and beyond their capacity they are. And then after that, it's like, well, more people die because they they don't have the beds. They don't, they're not able to access the care that they need. And so if you can reduce the amount of people by um, who actually need to go to hospital by helping people strengthen their immune systems, which is kind of a, a really good idea generally in life anyway, you would have thought that that would have been something that is spoken about a lot. Maybe it is. I don't know. But it certainly in times like these, it's like, yeah, here's something that you could do yourself to strengthen your immune system. Um, that would decrease the amount of people actually going into hospitals, which would free up resources for those who really need them, um, who can then have their lives saved. And I think that's a really, it's a big deal. It's like taking responsibility for your own health. I think, you know, if, if you're not doing that, then it would probably be a good idea. And especially in times like these, because it's like we get to see in these times, you know, if you obviously there's things that happen where, you know, you just, you, you get in an accident or you, you catch some terrible illness or something like that. And it's like, yeah, it, it's quite tough. But on the same hand, it's like, I feel, I felt this for a while and I've been trying to put words to it. It's like, it is a responsibility to kind of look after your health a bit more because it also becomes somebody else's problem. It's not just your problem. And especially in times like these, you actually get to see that. It's like, well, here's why it is a good idea to look after your health if, if you like, weren't aware of that already. Um, and I think we all are in some ways. And then, you know, I'm not speaking to people from above here. Like I do my bit, but there's certainly other things that I could do to take care of it better and we're all somewhere on that learning curve like we would like to feel better and we would like to have stronger immune systems and probably be more resilient although it does seem like we're retracting more into just stay safe stay safe stay safe this kind of overly coddling almost Oedipal um, culture where it's just you know almost like too safe to the point of um well, like a lack of resiliency, uh, safe to the point of uh, smotheredness, where it's like you, you just don't have any, you can't kind of stand up to anything because the, you don't have any resilience to it. And I, you know, I see areas in my life where that's the case. And it's like, well, I think I really ought to go and try to, you know, soften into that a little bit, soften into that place and, and develop a little bit of resiliency um, I think that's a good idea is to get out there and, and start taking a bit more responsibility for your own levels of resiliency in certain areas and it's difficult and you need support to do that and you know it's a good idea so if you need support to go do it just figure out the kind of support you need and go get it because it's really good it's really good for you and it can be really good for lots of other people too and so that's a pretty good reason to do it. Hmm. I don't know if I even finished that paragraph there. Air pollution increases risk of dying by 6%, obesity by 23%, and 
alcohol abuse by 37% and loneliness by 45%. That's a really big deal. It's like loneliness is a massive killer. And uh, who knows kind of what the effects of social isolation are. One of my concerns was that it would be. So you spend a lot of time with people that you're in some kind of emotional enmeshment pattern constellation with like a family for instance and you're in this high pressure situation where you're not really allowed to go out you're not really allowed to do anything you just sat around all day trying to figure out what's going on and being afraid of this virus um, and feeling a lot of pressure and so that kind of environment uh, if people are not if people are perhaps underdeveloped in emotional literacy is a a kind of a pressure cooker for emotions to boil over and things to explode and relationships can get seriously damaged in that kind of environment and might break down you know i one of my friends joked with me today uh, she said uh, i think we're going to see like a massive divorce rate you know (laughs) a massive divorce rate after uh, this quarantine because people will be like okay I've had enough now I'm I'm sick of this we're, it's over we're out uh, or and and or we will see something like a huge baby boom in around about nine months time because <laughs> it's like well what else are you gonna do you're gonna you're gonna fight and then you're gonna make up and well all of those things are probably gonna happen but for people who are isolated by themselves, loneliness increasing the risk of dying by 45%. I mean, yeah, that's kind of phenomenal for me. Mm, what else does he go on to say? Another danger that is off the ledger is the deterioration in immunity caused by excessive hygiene and distancing. It's not only social contact that is necessary for health, it's also contact with a microbial world Generally speaking, microbes are not our enemies, they're our allies in health. This, yeah, well, touched on that before. And yeah, it's like you need a bit of grit. It's the whole immune system conversation. It's like, you know, you you want to protect your immune system so that it never gets challenged or do you want to build up resiliency? Do you want a little bit of grit and do you want to go out there and get sick a few times and you know develop some antibodies and all of that kind of thing yeah you just there's just something a little bit off about the way that the the at least the pub the conversation in the public domain seems to be centered around or maybe it's leaving these parts out I, I don't know maybe i'm reading the wrong sources but it just doesn't seem to be as big a part of the conversation as maybe it, it should or could be uh, so it'd be a good idea to start talking about that a little bit more. And so he goes on then to say in the next part, whether the global, I think this is the part that comes before it actually, uh, whether the final global death toll is, this is really interesting what he's talking about because this is also something that I've been thinking about it's like the numbers and the figures for coronavirus and you know how how many people are dying of that and how many people are dying of other things that kind of got that at the same time and then a bit of an overwhelmed hospital system one of the things that he stresses in the article is that you know 
we really don't know what's going on. We really don't know the the final figures. Like nobody really does um, because we haven't tested the entire population, and the tests are not necessarily all that reliable. A lot of cases go unreported. A lot of cases uh, apparently are asymptomatic, um, and so we don't really know the final figures. It's not to say that it's not a serious thing. It, it appears to be a serious thing as, as far as we know. But we don't really know the numbers and the figures. And I've noticed this kind of fascination with... Yeah, I see it even in myself. It's almost like looking at the league table. Uh, it's, it's a very strange thing to like to observe in yourself. Like looking at these numbers and figures and trying to just get a sense of what's going on. And you think that by looking at the numbers and the figures, you are actually getting a sense of what's going on. And maybe that's a dangerous thing because it it's not all too obvious that you are really getting good information. Like you don't really know what's going on, who's reporting what, how many cases are where and, and all of this stuff. And like the death rates as well. It's like, yeah, are they are they dying of that or did they die and they had that at the same time? Because that's a kind of a, a big issue. You know, you'd want to know, is it solely because of that or is it that they had another health issue at the same time and or a compromised immune system or they were, yeah, just generally not very healthy um, as people. Uh, they had, maybe, maybe they were obese or had some kind of diabetes or something that, was compromising them in some way and then the virus got to them and it's like a combination of things but we're pinning it on coronavirus and saying look at the numbers of this that it's killing it's like well you can't really say that properly you've got to look at it all it's just it's more complicated than that and I think looking at the figures repeatedly is simplifying it and almost like cherry picking evidence to support an underlying sense of fear or an underlying sense of, I don't know what it would be. It's like, there's a there's a part of me that I've observed that's like, oh, wait, this is quite a good drama, you know? And I mean that, you know, to be like careful how I word this. I don't mean like a, a good drama, but there's a part of me that's, <clears throat> there's a part of me that's interested in it that's almost like like fascinated with what's going on because it, it, there's a there's a sense of it's almost like it's bringing out a sense of meaning or a sense of um like we're all in this together or it's like something to sweep away the the trivial things or like uh, something bigger than the things that I was worried about before or concerned about or thinking about. And so, yeah, it's a strange thing to observe um, in myself. And so I imagine there's some other people out there that are maybe experiencing that too. Um, but here he goes on to talk about that. And he says, whether the final global death toll is 50,000 or 500,000 or 5 million, let's look at some other numbers to get some perspective. My point is not that COVID isn't so bad and we shouldn't do anything. So bear with me. Last year, according to the FAO, I don't know who that is, probably some, some important sounding body, 5 million children worldwide died of hunger among 162 million who are stunted and 51 million who are wasted. 
that is 200 times more people than have died so far from COVID-19. Yet no government has declared a state of emergency or asked that we radically alter our way of life to save them. Nor do we see a comparable level of alarm and action around suicide, the mere tip of an iceberg of despair and depression, which kills over a million people a year globally and 50,000 in the USA, or drug overdoses which kill 70,000 in the USA, the autoimmunity epidemic which affects 23.5 million NIH figure, yeah, I don't know who they are either, to 50 million, 23.5 million NIH figure to 50 million AARDA, some important sounding bodies there, or obesity which afflicts well over 100 million. Why, for that matter, are we not in a frenzy about advert, uh, averting nuclear Armageddon or ecological collapse, but, to the contrary, pursue choices that magnify those very dangers? It's a relevant question. It's not very comfortable, but it is relevant. It's like, are we afraid of the right things? I don't think we are. Like, I don't think we're like looking or thinking about things in a very clear way. But... One of the thing, the great things I like about this article is that the he talks about how quickly we can change when we need to. It's like where there's a perceived need to do this with the the COVID nineteen, and you know, fair enough that that seems to be what needs to happen. We need to do this thing where we all stay inside and distance and wash our hands and all that. It's like yeah, fair enough, okay. But look how quickly everybody has just decided on what's important and decided this is what we're all going to do together now. Everything stops, like planes are grounded, factories stop, like everything stops now. And we all just kind of did it. And that's really, in a way, it's really positive. It's like, well, look at what we can do if we decide on what's important. Look at what we do if we can altogether agree that well and we are kind of altogether agreeing that life is worth preserving which is presumably why we're taking the measures that we're taking because we do believe on some level that life is actually worth living so and we don't want to die so we're we're trying to stop ourselves from dying with this whole coronavirus thing but well how about here's some other things that we could die from like the way that we're um, consuming things at a rate that's probably not sustainable and doing things to the oceans. And this isn't a kind of a finger wagging thing. It's more like, actually, we do have quite a lot of power if we decide that's what we want to do uh, collectively. Um, and we can do it. And so all of that stuff about, well, we're never going to all get to agree on something. It's like when the threat is quite real the and the situation presents itself as that we actually do respond and, and we can respond and we can do all of those things. And so if it is a, a climate catastrophe or like whatever it is that's going on, um, there's stuff that we can actually do together and decide that it's necessary. And so that's, I mean, that's really positive. There's, there's ways that you can perceive things that can help to strengthen you. And I think that is one of the ways that perceives things, uh, one of the ways of perceiving things that helps to strengthen you and give you courage in this time. And I really feel like the, the antidote to fear in this time is something like courage. 
like it has to be something like that uh like courage to try to see things differently and courage to take things on for yourself and say well here i am in this situation and there's a about a million and one things that i can't control and trying to control and causes me anxiety one of those things is what's happening in the world at large another one of those things is other people um but there are some things that I can do. You know, I'm here in quarantine. I'm here with this opportunity to really sit into myself, like relax into myself and feel some uncomfortable stuff and grow and integrate and become stronger as a human. There was a... It was something a friend sent me from one of Carl Jung's Red Books and it was a brilliant, brilliant passage. Um... It was about this guy who it was about this uh, young sailor who um, was on quarantine in the ship, and he was talking to his captain about it. And he was like, "I just missed touching my family. I missed hugging them." And um, the captain said, "Yeah, it's it's tough, but quarantine takes something from you." And I remember being in quarantine one time, and I could feel that quarantine was taking something from me, and so I decided to take twice as much. Um, when I was reading it, I thought that's a kind of a strange thing, but it was really what he was talking about was like he decided to uh, cut his diet in half, so he ate less food, which immediately took a strain off the body, so it could start to heal itself. Then he decided to focus on nutrient dense foods that really allowed the body to thrive. So he changed his diet and became healthy. In that time, he said he started. He this I like this expression. He said he decided to aspire to nobler thoughts. And I love this. I think this is such a an important thing because I I mean I guess it's probably you've noticed that some of your own thoughts are just like, what the hell is that? You know, where did that come from? I can see it in myself as well. I'm just rattling around in my head and I'm thinking, God, this is horrible if I notice it. But at the time, I'm like obviously quite involved in it and invested in it. That's why I'm doing it. But yeah, aspiring to more noble thoughts is quite interesting because it gives you a sense of well, I could actually think things in a diff. I could think about things in a different way. You know, I'm not just constrained by my thinking. You know, I'm. I think about things in this way, and this is who I am. It's like no, that that's not really the case. You know, you can aspire to nobler thoughts, and you can you can practice them, and you can train them in, and then that kind of dictates the way that you receive and transmit your experience of the world, which is really great because that means you have some control over what it is that the way that you're bringing stuff in and sending stuff out and you know maybe that's all the control you actually really need um he also goes on to talk about how he did yoga or something and he's doing breathwork exercises so that's great carl young giving me a bit of promotion from 100 years ago or whenever it was i don't know i don't think it was as long as 100 years ago but yeah breathing exercises man this is a great way to get yourself into gear and get yourself emotionally fit i suppose and physically fit as well like it's good it's really good but anyway um he talks about some other things as well and he just said 
he used the opportunity in quarantine to build himself into the kind of person that he could be um, and willingly volunteered to give up the other parts of who he was like the quarantine took away certain liberties he gave up even more and like in that kind of sacrificed his current self for the self that he could be that he could have been and then those habits lasted with him through his life and made him a stronger person and you know we all can do that like that's all something that's within our power to do and I mean it's quite good if that's something that you can do and it's something that's necessary to do and maybe it is something that's necessary to do it's certainly something that I feel like feel be good in the world and maybe that's what's needed in the world right now if we're all going to agree that we would like to survive and thrive and live well or at least not kind of suffer miserably <laughs> in life which is potentially what could also happen hmm and it's I mean it comes to this uh, question of for me it comes to this question of uh, really confronting mortality and I think in these times that comes uncomfortably close like you you have to kind of look at that and I was out uh, jogging before and I went out went down for a little swim in the sea and was thinking like okay just it was in my head a little bit and thinking about things and getting a bit annoyed about this and that and I got into the ocean and it was really I love getting into cold water that's another thing that people can do because you get in and it just clears everything out it's really just it really that's something that helps you aspire to nobler thoughts or it just suddenly my thinking changes when I get in the the water uh, and I really notice the effect of that and so that's really great um, but I was just noticing I was having a kind of a reaction um, like reactionary to I guess it was fear that was then coming up as anger um, at the response of like hey we're not focusing on the right things here like we're, we're 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 looking in the wrong direction like we're afraid of the wrong things and we need to it's not fear is like quite motivating but it needs to be properly placed if that makes sense it's like it needs to be in it in the right place like you need to be afraid of the right thing so then you know what's worth actually being afraid of um and I could feel that manifesting his anger and I think it was like anger at the I guess it was the insufficiency of or the incapacity of um, maybe first it was projected outwards of people to really be in touch with their emotional states and manage them in a way and think things through and like find ways to calm themselves down obviously anger is not really a helpful response but um i think that's how i how i could observe that i tended to treat myself in those situations um is to 
to get angry if I am feeling afraid. And so, well, maybe it would be good to not do that as much because that doesn't seem so useful. Mm. But I started feeling like, okay, well, if I was to, to die and I would want to die well, like, did I give it what I knew that I could give it? And what would I like? What would I be confronted with at that time, um, at that time of death? It's like all of that stuff that you have to kind of let go of and make peace with, all in one, um, in one go. Really, you know, you can't really take stuff with you. And uh, I just noticed that. Well, I started like, I started talk. I started. Um, what's that? This thought arose and it was apologizing to people like I'm sorry for the people that I've let down like I'm sorry for the people that I um, have let down in in life at various times or in ways that you know I haven't acted to you know I haven't acted with the the kind of maybe the integrity or to the, the the level the standard that I would have liked to have acted to uh, and it started to be, yeah, it started to be quite um, emotional. It started to be like something that was bringing up a lot of stuff for me. And what <laughs> when I got into the water, it, it shifted gears a little bit. It was like I didn't really, maybe I did let some people down in some places, but it was more myself. Like I think that was the thing that I'd avoided seeing. It's like I held a standard to my I've held myself to a certain standard that I haven't reached and I've, you know, there's ways that I've let myself down in that and to, to really face into that was quite difficult because you don't really want to see the ways that you've, uh, you don't necessarily want to see all the ways that you might have let yourself down or the standards that you might have held yourself to and, it, and it's not necessarily that your standards have been correct but, it, it, you know, they could be a little bit harsh and so... What came immediately after that thought was, well, how about a little bit of forgiveness then? How about a little bit of leniency? You know, do you want to keep holding grudges against yourself and enmeshing yourself and tying that energy up in grudges and, I don't know, self, self-hatred self or whatever it is? You, do you want to do you want to do that? Do you want to because that takes energy, you know, it does take energy that could be, you know, if you liberate that energy from where it is, like holding you in this web of your own pain and you, well, it takes a bit of courage to do that because it's it's a difficult thing to face and it's it's something that maybe you have to encourage yourself to do more or find people who can encourage you and support you to do that more this is certainly what it felt like at the time it's like yeah I, I don't know if it's a good idea to not forgive yourself or whoever you know it's really whether it's yourself or somebody else it's kind of the same thing really um, in a lot of ways you know there's if you take that idea of we're all one thing seriously it's like yeah it doesn't really matter whether it's going inwards or outwards it's it's kind of in the middle where you you have to to sit in it and feel it and 
that's the really the hard part that it can be really scary and often you you need support in order to to get there and yeah it felt legit basically it felt like okay that's good forgiveness is good it was just a a kind of a a um it was like an affirmation almost um I mean, it, it was affirming, I suppose. It was affirming to that this idea of forgiveness is solid. It's like, yeah, it really works and it can be really hard. Um, but maybe it's really necessary, uh, especially at these times. Mm. And another kind of more poet, slightly more poetic thing that came to me was that when I was... Uh, jogging back on the way and it was like you know you've got work to do while you're here so that you can return home well when you die and I thought it's a it was maybe it wasn't exactly that but it was something like that I wrote it down somewhere but it was really this sense of like the we don't talk about death we don't have really a good relationship with death at the moment and you can see how that's playing itself out um, with this fear and contraction, contraction, contraction. And that's something that's really worth addressing. And I think Eisenstein's article really addresses that superbly well. Like it's such a, a good read. Like it's really well thought through and, and intelligent and well lots of things i i really really enjoyed it i talked for like 40 minutes there just off the the cuff so <laughs> that's a long time perception architecture radio well i'm aware that that's a bit of a somber note to end on but a very important and valid one particularly now as we're being presented with basically a threat to our mortality and there's a real utility in being able to face that and and look at it properly so it can help reorder the thing that's most important to you and bring that to the forefront in your life and let the parts of you that are not rallying around that most important thing to you you can let those parts go and I don't mean let them go in a way that you're pushing them away I mean let them go as in relax the tension around them and as you relax the tension around them you're not kind of offering them something to to push against you're not offering them anything to feed off any kind of energy to feed off so yeah you really they just start to kind of dissolve and um, fall away and I think it's really useful to look at this situation like that it's like you never get an opportunity like this you never get an opportunity where things just stop like that's not really what happens in life all too much but now everything has stopped and it's like well how do you utilize that opportunity to in the best way that you could what are the habits that you could start right now that you've been meaning to start for a long time and I think that's a really big and important part of the conversation like turning it towards how can you build this? How can you build yourself to be more resilient here? Um, so if you're interested in doing more of the 
self-inquiry work or if you're interested in starting some good habits, breath work, particularly with a virus that's um, attacking the lungs, it's like make your lungs stronger. Here's something that you could do to make your lungs more resilient. You could do breathing exercises and there's plenty of those on the site, which is at perceptionarchitecture.com. Uh, they are, I get a lot of good feedback from them. There's some shorter journeys, there's some longer journeys, but it basically involves a lot of deep breathing and afterwards I always find the result. Like I made them for myself so I could uh, navigate uh, dark and uncertain patches. And I always find at the end I feel very grounded and a lot, a lot of kind of clarity and um, it inspires a lot of creativity in me. So they're all uh, out there for free. You can go and check them out on the site and you can use them and you can give me feedback if you like. Um, what else did we have? Yeah, so a few of the sources that I've really enjoyed lately, there's um, Rebel Wisdom. I like their podcast a lot. I think they do some very, very good videos and they're really sincerely trying to make sense of the situation um, without being dogmatic or anything like that. And so I really like their approach and what they're doing. Uh, Russell Brand's interview with Wim Hof I thought was great. Um, Wim Hof's like a little bit crazy, but uh, you know, science backs up what he's talking about um, for the large part. And I do, I, my experience of his technique is that there is a, you're getting really deep into the kind of the reptile brain that unlocks powers that you really didn't know you possessed um, and were perhaps scared of knowing that you possessed. I mean, it's it kind of takes you to some pretty crazy places. But yeah, I thought his interview with Russell Brand was really, really good, um, very valuable for the time. Um, Mark Manson has some really good stuff. He's the guy who authored Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. I really like his work. Um, there's a couple of good doctors on YouTube. There's Medlife Crisis. I think his videos are very funny. There's uh, another guy who has COVID updates. Um, one of the videos that I mentioned in what I was talking about just before is on his channel and it talks about, he kind of gets the conversation going about strengthening the immune system, which I think is really, really valuable. Um, yeah, Sam Harris is pretty good. Uh, Eisenstein, who I think is gonna be on Russell Brand's podcast soon. Um, yeah, some really good commentators. I think it's really worth paying attention properly to sources of information that are good, especially in this time, and that might not be the traditional uh, mainstream at this point. It might be in some way, but also it's something that it's a situation of sufficient seriousness that would really require you to, to think a little bit more deeply about what's going on here. And, just so you can come out of it in a way where you feel good about the world that you are actively participating in creating um, and how can you kind of step into your role as part of that. So there it is. That's it. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, take care of yourselves. And I'll speak to you again soon. Perception Architecture Radio. Radio.